Well, now we get to talk about adultery. <laughs> wow, this is, what a fun day, huh? Wow, you know, it's crazy when you, when you have, like at Timberline, we always, almost always go through like series in the Bible. So we're going verse by verse, exegetical style, just saying, what is the next section? And when you do that, you can't skip the tough things. And that's why we do it. And so I just want you to know we call this our living room for a reason. It's because we really deal with real life stuff in here. We talk about hard, hard things. We talk about things that are sometimes uncomfortable to, to talk about in a public setting. And so I'm, I'm working my way through this weekend trying to find the right language. But it's really important for us to be really honest and really brutal with ourselves about our sexuality and temptations that are real in our lives and to not try to sugarcoat anything. So I'm gonna really proceed just, just walking us through this. And so if you have kids in here, you, you might, it, I mean, it's nothing bad that we're gonna talk about, but it's definitely gonna create some questions for them as we talk about what faithfulness really means. I, I, I know that the, one of the first things we have to establish is for some of you who have committed adultery, or you have a spouse who has committed adultery and you have forgiven them and there is forgiveness in your marriage and God is healing you. It is so vitally important right now that you do not let Satan throw this stuff back into your face today because that's exactly what he would like to do. And so I don't want you squirming around going, what is she thinking? What is he thinking? Oh my goodness, we, I thought we got through this. I want you to rejoice today that the kingdom of God is great and his forgiveness is great and he can work miracles in these areas. And so please take a deep breath, relax if that's you. God loves you, you have a plan, he has a plan for your life. I know also in this room, all of us have been impacted by adultery, all of us. Family members, friends, coworkers, you know somebody who's been caught in this, this trap. Matter of fact, I was thinking this week about what the world would be like right now if no one would have ever committed adultery ever in history. Can you imagine? I mean, it, this, it would change the history of nations when you really think about what adultery and how adultery has impacted our culture. I'm gonna talk today to singles, some here in a little bit. I'm talking obviously mostly to marrieds because this sin is involving married people. And so we need to just open it up and, and not be afraid. Uh, the first point in your outline is just, I just want to define adultery. Adultery defined is, by the, I'm just using the dictionary definition. This is what the dictionary says adultery is. Voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. Is that clear enough for you? Okay. Most of us know what it is. It's the seventh commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. It simply says, you must not commit adultery. God knew the pain, the heartache, the shame that would accompany this issue. And that's why it's such a direct command. Don't do it. So I thought about having a sermon today that just said, you know what it is, don't do it, let's go home. <laughs> but I think unpacking it a little bit more is probably gonna help us more. Number two in your outline is the problem with our sexuality. Let's, 
Let's dive into this just a little bit and be, be open about talking about our sexuality and our culture today. One of the things that you would agree with me on is that we, we live in a very sexual world. From advertising to explicit pictures that you see from the newspaper to general accepted magazines across the shelves, there's some very explicit pictures. And, and you wouldn't have found this way back when. It's just that our culture's opened up. It's not a big deal anymore. Uh, dress codes have kind of got away, and lots of things are acceptable that weren't acceptable before. Now, here's the challenge. As, as believers, as followers of Jesus, one thing that we must know and identify is that God is the creator of sexuality. It's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. When you think about God actually creating in his mind what sexual intercourse is, when you think about him creating sexual organs in our bodies, the pleasures that we enjoy, you think about a God who is not afraid of sexuality. I think that's beautiful. The challenge for us comes in when we have to talk about the boundaries that God has put on this wonderful drive that he has given us. I was talking with Jim Lindsay after the last service, a professor at CSU, awesome thinker, Hebrew expert, and he, and he was saying to me that in Hebrew, in Genesis 1, at the very end of the first chapter, it talks about God making male and female. He created them. And he actually, chapter 2 goes into detail about taking that rib from man. It's almost like um, this is my flesh. And so there's this, this separation, male, female. And no wonder we have attractions in our life because we're constantly trying to put that back together. It's, it's okay that you feel attracted because that's... God separated what was one in the beginning into two. And so there's this longing. There's this longing to come back together and be one flesh. That's the natural, beautiful part of this. Where it goes sideways is when we begin to create things in our own mind, in our own lives that cross the boundaries that this book has set for us. People who really fight for sexual freedom in our world right now, um, the challenges that I see in this are just huge. Because, because the, the, the more freedom, quote, you think you may have leads to more bondage in your life. And then that's just the reality of you looking at the addictions that we have in our culture. Um, let me just tell you, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus does this radical thing about adultery. He addresses it. Someone asks him about it, and he, he goes extreme. It says in verse 27 of Matthew 5, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to say, if you have an eye that creates lust, pluck it out. If you have a hand that creates sexual sin, cut it off. Because it's better for you to, to not have those components in hell. See, what is, what is he saying? What he's doing is he's using an extreme Jewish, they did this in storytelling. He was trying to make such an example of how horrific this would be in people's lives that he just took it to the extreme. He doesn't really want you to pluck out your eye, but he wants you to put such great boundaries that this will never be an issue. I had a guy tell me one time, well, according to that verse, if I look on a woman and I lust after her, I might as well sleep with her because it's the same sin. 
And I, I just want to say the consequences are very different from lust moving to physical behavior. And so don't buy that lie of trying to invert that verse to, to use it as a license to commit adultery. You know, when you, it's right here in your, in your mind. All, this, this sin starts in your brain and comes out your body. And that's how it happens. And I have story after story of people who it just subtly got into their life. We are in a sexual world, and there's all kinds of things we could talk about, but I don't even want to give it too much time. Let's go to, to number three. Number three is, is the problem with our expectation. When we think about marriage and we think about adultery, is it that our expectations weren't met in marriage and therefore we need to go outside the boundaries of that marriage? There's a lot of talk about this, but I will say this. Nothing, there's nothing in this life that will completely fulfill every need you have. We are in human bodies, not godly, not our heavenly bodies. We will not have complete contentment and fulfillment in this lifetime but we are constantly searching for it. And that's the drive that pushes us to boundaries that we have never been to before to explore whether that feeling can come. How many of you, don't raise your hand on this. Um, you'll understand why in a minute. You thought getting married would solve all your problems. Don't raise your hand, okay. I, I see some of you leaning over and saying, it did, sweetheart, it did. It just added a few more new ones, right? <laughs> you know what's weird is those places of discontent in your life, those, those things that are tough for you as a single person actually are magnified and exposed when you get married. And so it can be tougher to be married, and, and yet there's fulfillment that a single person may not know uh, to that degree as well. So there's some pros and cons. We're in a culture where a lot of married people want to be single, a lot of single people want to be married. And it's weird to me that the minute people aren't married anymore, they start looking to be married again. And, and the stats are horrible inside the church and out for people who are faithfully married long term. Horrible. This shows the depth of this drive. This shows the way we logically justify our behaviors and our actions in our mind. And that's why Jesus deals with it so strict and so big. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit thinks about, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Okay, let's talk about this. The key word is letting. If you let the Spirit lead you, if you let the Spirit control your mind, that has to do with free will. That's a tricky subject. That means that you can choose what you let in and what you don't let in. Now, we have to talk about this because the frustration for me as a pastor often is that people feel like when they are tempted... And they have this horrible temptation, this horrible thought. There's automatic guilt. And that's not true. You can be tempted without sinning. You might have an image or a thought or a temptation. Uh, someone is flirting with you. You feel an attraction to them. And all of a sudden you realize you feel an attraction to them. And you want to look deeper in their eyes. 
There's lust that could grow. Right there in that moment is where you make a decision about whether this is going to become a sin or whether it's going to be a temptation that you're going to capture in your mind and push it away. But there's no way that you can live your life without having those moments of temptation that come into your brain. It's what you do with those moments that this passage is talking about. All of us are tempted, the Bible says. We all are tempted. We're all going to face stuff. But it's what we do with that, and it's how we train our mind. Now, here's the key. You know, our world is filled with flirtation, jokes, innuendos, uh, sexy remarks that, that are puns intended on something else. At your workplace, the stories, the jokes, the issues that go on in, in your life. I'm always amazed when I go play golf or I get with a threesome I don't know and all the stories and the cussing and about the ninth hole, they say, so what do you do? <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. And they're like, oh, dude, sorry, I won't say that anymore, I, you know. <laughs> There's such a freedom to be explicit. And, and freedom of speech has just led the way to people who can say things in public settings that would never have been vocalized before. And it's gotten more crude. And so what happens is our, our younger generation is growing up in a culture where everything is out there. Everything is out there for them to see and experience and touch if they want to. And, and it's pretty tough to keep this younger generation from exploring in these areas. And so we as parents, as married people, have such a responsibility to teach our young generation the power of the mind and when to capture that thought. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I don't think it's on the screen, but write, write this down in your notes. It's about temptation. 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. How big is that? People say, well, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Don't feed that temptation. If you stop feeding it, it will have a death eventually. It might take some time but it will have a death. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's a powerful verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I, I hope that you'll put that in your heart. And when those moments come into your life, you'll be able to capture that temptation and say, wait a minute, I know where this is gonna lead. <laughs> now, the, the, the last thing under this point that I wanna say is, I don't think you can overcome sexual temptation by yourself very often. Now, it's tricky. Depending on your marriage, your spouse may not be the best person to talk to about your sexual temptation. I'm always for full communication in marriage. I think it's the, the healing the best way. But I also know for men especially, if you can find a brother that you trust and believe in and you need to talk about what's going on in your brain, you're gonna have to take that step because you're probably not gonna overcome this by yourself. And I, I don't know how more blunt to say it because when it begins to be a secret that you are hiding and keeping from your spouse, that's when things are gonna go south. And, and I challenge you to deal with these things on the front end. 
And I'm so proud of people when they, when they step into my office and say, I have a problem with this. And I just suddenly want to hug them and rejoice and say, thank God you're here. You know, you feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed. You, they don't want to tell me of all people, but I think that's a win for the kingdom of God when someone says, I'm dealing with this issue. It's a secret problem in my life. No one knows it but God, and I've got to talk about it. That's when you can begin to be an overcomer. And so I encourage you to step out, be bold enough to do this. There are really, the, the fourth thing in your, in your outline is there are three things that happen in marriage. And, and I'm just going to mention them, and we'll go to the R's, because I want to wrap up with those. In Genesis 2.24, it says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one flesh. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. What constitutes a marriage in a biblical sense is a male and a female who leave their parents, they have sexual union and become one flesh, and they make a promise to be sexually faithful to each other for the rest of their lives. That's a biblical marriage. Our culture smacks at that. Our culture makes it sound like when you get tired or you fall out of love, then you can go find a new mate. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And I'm not guilting. Many of you have been through divorce. It's horrible. You've, you, you've, you have your own story. So there's no shame in what I'm saying. But from this day forward, can we agree? If you are married, you are going to put yourself all in. You have said, I will, I do. And you need to say, I'm going to keep my mind and my heart, my body pure. And I'm going to give myself fully to my spouse, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Those kinds of commitments can make marriage work. I, uh, I love some of the thoughts that, that J. John has. We're using his study guide and his book for this whole series, and he's done a great job. Before we jump into the five R's, I want to talk to some singles for a moment. If you are a single person in this room, I would like for you to take the next three to six months to celebrate being single. Matter of fact, why don't you just have a party and invite your single friends over and say, we're celebrating that we're single, and we're loving it. Because... Contentment and fulfillment don't come from another person coming into your world. The greatest contentment and fulfillment that we can know on the earth is being in true, peaceful relationship with God, our creator. That's the best you can do here. Any other relationship outside of that is going to have tension in it from day one. The only relationship that you can have that the greatest contentment you can know on this earth is this way. That's why being single, if you're not content as a single person or fulfilled, you're not going to be content or fulfilled as a married person. So many people who think getting married is going to solve all this problem. It doesn't. It can increase the tension in your life. And so if I believe that, if I'm single, I want you to celebrate that. I want you to enjoy being single and give it to God. And say, Lord, for the next few months, I'm not looking. <laughs> I'm not pursuing. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to give myself fully to your causes. And I'm going to enjoy this stage in my life. And then if someone comes along, great. But that's not what you're just longing for every single day. I challenge you to live in a way like that, that honors God with your singleness. Paul even says in, in the book of Corinthians that you have some advantages over married people. Uh, you can read about it. It's powerful. Okay, last thing. The five R's of marriage. 
Um, number one is, is respect. When, when you lose respect for your spouse, things are going to get naughty. Things are going to go bad. I think respect is earned, but I think it's also a choice. I must show respect in many cases for people that I have lost respect for. You say, well, you don't know my spouse. I've lost respect for them. Well, I get that, but you need to show respect to them whether you have it at that level or not. It's a biblical principle. Now, hopefully, they can earn it back, but being respectful is part of what love is. And so without respect, marriage can't really work. Even when you disagree on certain things, I can be respectful when Bonnie and I disagree on certain things. And I don't have to get sarcastic and, you know, say something silly or make them feel degraded. Uh, respect their opinion. The second R is the word responsibility. You know, knowing what I am responsible for and being true to those responsibilities. How many of you, the men, pay the bills in your marriage? How many of you, the women, the woman, I should say, okay? Um, they, they pay the bills. Now, why did you decide on that? It's probably kind of depending on the gift mix that you have. You know, in, in, our, in our marriage, we have certain roles that Bonnie does a lot better than me, and so she does those roles. And, and I have roles that I do better than her, and I do those roles. And that's a responsibility that I trust her to do and she trusts me to do. We connect on them, we talk about them, but at the end of the day, it's my responsibility. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. It's a command. And so I'm responsible for nurturing that kind of love in my life. I'm responsible for that. Number three is relate. How can I relate to my spouse? You know, I remember in high school when I met Bonnie, we, we met in math class. Math is not all bad, see. Uh, <laughs> and at the end of my senior year, we started dating, and uh, it was so fun. I, I went off to Bible college. We had that whole summer together, and man, I missed her so much. It was like the first time I really felt like I loved somebody at that level, and there was this this relationship, and I wanted so much to relate, and so I'm telling her about my day, and how was your day? This was before email or texting, right? 10 years ago or so. Um, <laughs> see, don't just live your life and drag your spouse along. Well, this is what I do. This is my thing. No, what is in common that you relate to, that you share? Um, that's a powerful. Show empathy and kindness to your mate. Get involved in their journey. Listen to their story. Give your best to it. And then number four is romance. Man, I love the phrase that Pastor Steve and Sherry, who lead this ministry, when they say date your mate. You know, it's a date your mate outing. I love that. Because sometimes when we get married, we stop dating. And I just want to encourage you, if you're a married person, plan a really good date this week. A really good date. And matter of fact, if both of you, why don't you take turns? You know, one do this month, one do the next month, but don't compare who's, who has the best date, okay? Just, just have a good date. But what does it mean to plan? What does it mean to do some things? It doesn't even have to cost money. But date your mate. I'm talking about contact, too. I think physical contact is really important in marriage. Holding hands, kissing caring, hugging, uh, loving one another, holding one another, forgiving one another, moving forward. You say, well, I just don't really like them anymore. Well, what has happened and when did it happen? It didn't happen in one day. 
It might have happened over years. But you can rebuild romance into your life. Because what you need to do is learn how to love them the way they need to be loved. Worst thing I, I have made mistakes with was trying to love Bonnie the way I wanted to be loved. Like her first birthday that we were married, I picked out the coolest Browning A5 shotgun you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> That's absolutely true. And she didn't have a shotgun, and everyone needs a shotgun. I mean, I grew up, my dad collected shotguns, and so this has been my world in Colorado forever. And so I think it was my mom who actually said before her birthday, Derek, do you think she wants a shotgun? <laughs> I found out not so much. Uh, not so much. No, she still does not own a shotgun. Um, uh, because I was trying to love her the way that I wanted to be loved. And so that's just something that as, as, as we develop our romance, let's make sure that we are thinking through that process. The last one is resolve. You guys, I, when marriage fails, it's so often something that happened way back there where this little seed of resentment started to grow and it was this little layer of sludge, and then it became mud, and then it became hard, and then it became concrete, and then it became bricks. And now you've you got this wall between you, and you don't even know when it happened or how it happened. But you've got to resolve conflict when it happens. Bonnie and I said years ago, if it bugs me, it's worth mentioning to you. And there's been a lot of things that have bugged her through the years, and I'm working on them. But, you know, it's amazing how the little things, how the little things can add up to big things. But if you talk about it and say it, it might not even bug you anymore. It's just the fact that you've vocalized it. So don't live with resentment. Resolve your conflict quickly. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much here that this could be a, a three-month series just alone. And I, I know it's a lot to download in this, these minutes that we've shared. But would you, by your spirit, make this live in people today? Your word, your strength. Would you help us to be brutal with those temptations that come into our mind where we feed them rather than kill them? I ask you to help us, God. I wanna pray, first of all, for some of you, you're in the battle for your marriage. And I wanna pray for marriages. I, I know when, when people say things like you're in a battle for your marriage that that might mean an issue recently or you've been you know, feeling feelings. But being really blunt, I think every marriage in this room is in a battle for their marriage. Some more than others. But in our culture, you've got to fight for marriage to stay married. And you've got to be committed. And, and that's hard for us because we, we're in a, a culture that, that celebrates lack of commitment rather than commitment and faithfulness. And so I just want to pray over your marriage. If, if you are comfortable taking your spouse by the hand or slipping an arm around them, do that now. Lord, I thank you for the sacredness of marriage. I thank you for how powerful it is. I thank you that you created it, that you called us, and that you have given us this person in our lives to love and to care for, to believe in, to invest in, to release, to be more beautiful than they already are because we've touched their life. Lord, I pray that we would have tenderness and brokenness and humility to apologize for things we know we've erred in, to be strong enough to own the things that we need to own, and to work on resolving conflict when it happens, and to fall in love all over again. 
Secondly, I wanna pray for singles in this room. I wanna pray that God would give you the strength, the encouragement, and the blessing upon your life to live with that fulfillment from him and that contentment. God, touch every single person here right now. Let them know that you love them. You're the creator of their heart. You understand them. I pray for blessing and peace and encouragement in their mind and their heart, for the beauty of God to be resilient in them. God, I just thank you. And as you would choose to provide for them relationships through friendship or marriage eventually, may they celebrate that in the same way that they are celebrating their singleness. I thank you for it, God. And finally, for those of you who maybe don't know God at all, I just love giving the opportunity for people to accept Christ, even on a weekend when we're not specifically talking about that. If you know you're separated from God today, would you please just follow me in a prayer that confesses your sin to God and says, God, forgive me. I feel you drawing me. I feel the Spirit drawing me toward you. Forgive me of that sin. And, and I trust in you. I believe in you. I confess it right now. Help me to walk with you. Help me to learn more about you and to understand your purpose for my life. We give all this to you, Lord, in your mighty and holy name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, open your heart to the truth of God's word. Our prayer team is going to come. They're going to be up here. Some of you might just want to have a connection of prayer, married or single, just to say, before I leave, I need to seal some things here at this altar. So they're going to be up here to do that. And uh, if you have a need to see some more pictures of Tristan, I'll be up here and, and we'll, we'll go from there. Hey, remember the service starts now. Go make a difference. God bless you. Thanks for being at Timberline. Thank you.